as you said, um, I'm a PhD candidate at the National Taiwan University and I'm visiting here at the Dynamics Lab at UCD. And I'm very happy to be here because I'm only here for a short period of time and it's nice to talk about what I've been doing here and so. And it's especially nice because it's the first time that I'm presenting uh, this work right now. Um, so it's very much a work in progress as well and I'm hoping also for good feedback uh, from you guys. Um, and also, uh, because it's work in progress, it might get technical at some times, but I hope that if you're not so interested in the technical stuff, I won't bore you to death with it. So, um, anyway, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, labor markets for high-skilled people, and especially about the labor markets for professional football players. Um, and I'm going to focus on now what's here on the screen as well, on how status affects the formation of, uh, of exchange relations between football clubs on that, uh, on that labor market for professional football players. So um, I always like to start with visualizing about what, what I'm doing. And of course, football is a very good topic to do that because there are lots of pictures of football players and so. So I'd like to start with this picture of a player and I start with a question or with, with like a, a thought, uh, maybe a thought experiment is that imagine that you're working for a football team and you're trying to buy a player or you're the manager of a team and you try to attract new players. What kind of questions would come up into your mind? Well, for me, first question would be, okay, uh, I'd like to buy this player, but what do I know about his physical condition? What do I know about his medical condition? Is he injury prone? Is it likely that if he plays for me that he gets injuries or not? Is he very fit? So first of all, I'd like to, I'd like to know more about his basically general well-being or something like that. And then second set of questions that would come up is, um, I probably play according to a certain tactical plan or I have tactics and so, and how does this player fit in? Do I need to uh, make a new position for this player? Or is he able to fit in like almost seamlessly? And is the, play the, the speed of my play fast enough for him, him? Or is it too slow? Or how is he going to affect that? So also there are also questions about how does he fit in with my team and with the technical plan of my team. And talking about the team, I have a group of players, a small group of players, and I'm going to put a new person in there. So what's going to happen with the team spirit, which is, which is, which is in my team? Is he going to contribute to that spirit? Or is he going to disrupt it? Uh, and how, are, how is it going to affect relations between players in the team? So also a lot of questions about that. Other set of questions. Okay, I, 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 I'll try to buy this player, but how is he going to contribute to my goals? Is he going to bring me to closer to winning a title or winning a cup? So can he really uh, 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 improve my performance? Um, so is he really going to contribute to the team, basically? And also, uh, I might like to buy this player, but would he be interested in going to my team? Would he be interested in playing for my team? So am I, am I offering attractive employment opportunities for, these, for this player? Uh, so questions also about, is the player even interested in going to me? And then finally, there's also a set of questions for me about the relations with other teams. Uh, I mean, uh, sometimes there are large amounts of money involved, and if I sell a player to a team, uh, is that team going to pay uh, his transfer debts to me? Is he going to pay the transfer fee to me? And is he going to pay on time? And these kind of questions. And also, um, if I buy this player, uh, how will all the other teams react to it? Will they think, well, this, this team is only buying players with a lot of money and concentrating all the players in the league in, in their own team and giving all the other teams in the league no other p options anymore, or no possibility of winning anymore? So also, there's going to be uh, questions about uh, my relations to other teams in the league. So um, basically what I've been saying is that there are all these questions and what they contribute to is that there's a, a large sense of uncertainty on the labor market. Uh, I mean, to, to, to speak it, of, to generalize it a little bit, uh, there's uncertainty about the quality of, of, of workers. I don't know how good a player is. Uh, there's uncertainty, uncertainty about the consequences of buying this player for my competitive position. Is he really going to uh, contribute to my team? Um, there's uncertainty about if I can interest that player to, to work for me or to play for me. And there's also uncertainty about uh, the relations to other organizations. And when you think of it, I would, I would say that this kind of uncertainty is not uncommon on the labor market for high school people. I mean, think about academia, or think about engineers, uh, think about uh, uh, maybe also uh, artists or seniors or these kind, of, uh, these kind of professions. I would say that on these kind of labor markets, there's also uh, very high levels of uncertainty. And now we immediately get to the main point of my argument, <laughs> is that to cope with that un uncertainty, 
uh, teams, they turn to the status of other teams. So um, if you look into the literature, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of work like pointing to status and that status can help uh, uh, market actors or actors on the market to overcome uncertainty. So um, for instance, when you look at the hiring practices of firms, you see that uh, firms, uh, they hire uh, university graduates from high status universities into their fast promotion tracks. So what these firms might do is that they use that status of the university as, a, as an estimate of the quality of these, of these graduates. You also see that um, uh, status is used to, make a, to assess the contributions that workers could make to a, to, to a production or to a, to a firm. So for instance, when you look at, at film producing production teams, when they are thinking about which director to hire, they're going to look at the status of the director in terms of the prices that he won um, to assess, okay, how is he going to, to bring this project to a new level or what can he contrib contribute to this project? And uh, finally, also, uh, uh, there's a lot of work about how uh, status is, uh, is used as a signal for the quality of, of firms and for the roles that firms take in the market. So for instance, you can use the status of an organization to think about, okay, in which kind of niche are you? And given that you're in that niche, what kind of quality are you able to offer me? And what kind of role do you have within the market? So what you see is that uh, status is used by, uh, by organizations to overcome that uncertainty in the market. And um, then a couple of words about how status does that or what status is for me. Uh, First of all, status is a, a signal of, uh, for quality. Uh, so uh, status is a reflection of the dominant values in the field. So for instance, in academia, where publi publishing is really important, and probably the researchers and the universities with the highest status, they're also the ones who publish really, really well and publish in the best journals and these kind of things. So in a sense that status ranking is a reflection of, of what is important in the field or what is important in the market. But there's also a loose, uh, a, a loose relation between quality and status. I mean, if you look at my university, National Taiwan University, it's consistently for a couple of years now in the top 70 or 80 of universities on all the rankings. But I think that if you ask a lot of people, then uh, NTU wouldn't be rated that high. So there's also some kind of, uh, th there can be some kind of uh, loose relation between status and between quality. Um, the second characteristic of status is that it, uh, it derives from social relations. So basically when you are related to a high status actor, that's also going to give you some status or confer status upon you. And because it comes from these social relations, uh, you can also observe it through social networks. So you can look at what kind of relations you have, a firm has to other firms. And then you can think, oh, probably he's related to the highest, high status firms in the, in the market. So probably he also is pretty good or he also has a high status. And because it's observable through these social networks, you can also rank status of organizations in terms of high status to, to, to low status. And with that quality ranking, there's also the, the, the idea that you can rank organizations into niches and that you can also think about uh, what kind of behavior would I expect from an organization in such a niche and these kind of things. So with these three qualities of status, you, uh, status helps uh, organizations to overcome uncertainty within the, within the market and also on the labor market. So on that labor market, um, I would say that uh, status is related to, to mobility in that market in two, kind, two, 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 two ways. Um, first way is uh, you see that uh, high status teams or high status organizations that, they, uh, uh, that they, they exchange more players. So basically when you have a high status organization who is buying a player, He's the most powerful uh, player in the market. He's the most bu powerful buyer in the market. And he also offers the most attractive uh, uh, employment opportunities. So probably when the buyer is, uh, is, is a very high status football team, then probably uh, he's able to attract more players. So he has more exchange relations on the market. And also when you play for a high status organization, so when the high status organization is the seller, then probably all the people will think, well, you know, the player must be good. He's playing for this team. So. Uh, what happens is that other, other teams will see these players as the most attractive players in the market. So that also for sellers uh, on that market, the, 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 the status has a positive contribution to, to them forming exchange relations on the market. And this is not the only way, so it's not only about the, the absolute status of an organization, but it's also about the difference in status between organizations. So if sta organizations are s similar in status, 
um, I would say that because uh, status is a, a signal for quality, that if, uh, if there's a very large gap uh, in the status of organizations, then they would, they would perceive each other as having a really different quality level. So the high status organization will look at the, at the low status organization and think to itself, well, why would these employees who work for that low status organization contribute to my, to, my, to my production process, basically? So because of that perceived quality gap between these organizations, it's less likely that they're going to form exchange relations on the market. However, when organizations are very close in the status ranking, then probably they're located at a very similar position in the market and then they're going to be rivals or they have feelings of intense competition towards each other. Each other. And because of this rivalry or uh, intense competition, they're going to ex exclude each other on the transfer market. So basically they're afraid if, uh, if I sell my players to a direct rival, what will this player contribute to my direct rival? And if my direct rival becomes better, then what happens to my competitive position? So teams are going to worry about, okay, what, what is, what is the, uh, the, the my transfer relations to my close competitors are going to mean for my own competitive position? And of course, like what I've just said, basically adds up to an inverted U-shaped relation between status similarity and, uh, and, and, and uh, the formation of, of exchange relations, without which I, like I draw it here on the, on the map, uh, basically saying that if, uh, if there's low status similarity, then teams are very far away from each other and are not likely to exchange relations. When they're very similar, they're rivals, they're also not likely to form exchange relations. Uh, so that means that somewhere in between, there is like an optimal difference between organizations in terms of their status wi on which they're going to, um, to exchange players. So um, in a nutshell, that's basically my theoretical argument. Uh, yeah, please. Sure. No, 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 please. I think it still works because um, what then happens is you have an out-of-contract player and there's a team maybe thinking about, okay, shall I offer a contract to the player? And then he's still going to, to look at, at the organization that the, that, that the player played for to assess what kind of quality that this player would have. So, yeah, I think it still works, yeah. Although when I show my results, that's, it's gonna be a little bit different. <laughs> but. Uh, like I expected uh, this kind of relation to, to, to exist between status and the formation of exchange relations on the labor market. Uh, any other questions or? Okay. Um, so having finished the theoretical part, we can now get into a little bit more empirical, like steady ground more or less. Um, first to talk a little bit about where I got my data. Um, I got my data from a, a, a German, um, online database uh, at transfermarkt.de and basically what they do is they, uh, they, they collect a lot of information about players and um, database is very very big uh, it involves in total 700,000 transfer movements and 225,000 players um, and I'm actually surprised by the detail that they that they collect data on I mean there's a lot of data also on the amateur team in Holland which I played for <laughs> which uh, of course having this really large amount of data and also basically uh, about amateur teams I was not so I'm not so much interested into in so I try to limit my my focus or I like try to limit the data I did that in two ways uh, first way I limit my data is that I'm only going to look at uh, the transfer movements of of players between professional clubs and what is then a professional club is a very difficult question but I follow uh, regulations by the Dutch Football Association which state that a team needs to have 18 full-time contract players. So what I'm saying is that if, uh, if I see a team which has at least 18 players uh, within a year or with in all years that, that I look at, then I say it's a professional team and I'm going to include that team to, to, to analyze its, uh, its transfer behavior. And I think 18 is also not such a strange number because you play football with 11 players and then a lot of competitions require that you have, s or stipulate that you can have seven substitutes, so that already is 18 players and then probably you have some other ones which are uh, really backup substitutes when players get injured and so on. So 
I think 18 is a very, like, it's a very, yeah, uh, uh, reasonable number, and also I have some regulations from one football association to back it up. Um, so that's the first limitation. Second limitation is that uh, I'm only going to look at uh, transfers between 2003 and 2011. And I did that because what I noticed when I look at, looked at the data is that uh, data is very well and very rich for recent periods, but it gets sparser and sparser the further, way, the further you go back. Um, so uh, then I needed to have a relatively recent cutoff point, and I chose 2003 because that's the year when uh, FIFA finished basically its transfer market regulations. Um, the conference, the FIFA Congress of 2003, the new transfer market regulations were accepted. And these regulations have stayed in place from 2003 until now, basically. And then uh, 2011 is last year, so it's the last year that I have full data on. Um, so with these two restrictions, uh, I'm going to look at uh, 67,500 transfers of more, more or less 26,000 players and uh, like involved are 921 professional teams and they come from 63, uh, 63 countries. So it's still a very, very large scope, um, I think. And um, because I have a lot of time, yes, <laughs> um, I'd like to now go away a little bit from my theoretical question and just go into this data and describe the, the labor market for professional football players a little bit. Because I think that a lot of people have ideas about it, um, but it's nice to, to, to just look at the data and verify these ideas and so. So first, I'm going to give a short description on just on what the labor market looks like, and then I'm going to return back to my to my question. Uh, that's a very good question. I'll get into it later, but uh, like it's 85% uh, of teams of from Europe, and then 10% from Latin America, and then like only very few teams from Africa, from North America, from Asia and there's one team from a non-FIFA member country. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it because it, it, it has uh, repercussions for what kind of data I look at. So it's a very good question that you asked. Um, first, what I would just like to do is to talk about, okay, how many transfers are there in a year? So that's why I, I show this graph and uh, like the top line, it's a blue line, uh, is uh, the total amount of transfers which have taken place in a year. The red line are the transfers which involve uh, players going on loan or players going back from loan. And then the green line are the players which, uh, um, of, uh, which like they change teams within a country and not between countries. So first a look at the blue line. Um, first thing to note is that well, there are basically between 6,000 and 8,000 transfers per year, uh, which I see in my data. And um, the amount of transfers like it increased from 03 to basically 08 or 09, and then it dipped slightly. And when you look at, uh, for instance, data that FIFA publishes on this or that the UEFA publishes on this, you also see a similar trend. So transfers increasing up until 2009 and then the drop. And what these organizations say is that, well, it's probably because of the financial crisis and sponsorship money for teams running out so that they have less money to spend on transfers so they're going to transfer less. But that could be, I don't really know. Um, anyway, between 6,000 and 8,000, total transfers, and when you look at the red line, then you see that basically uh, more or less 3,000, or one third of, of, these, uh, of these transfers are of players going on loan or coming back from loan. And what you see here, which is interesting, is that the line is, like it, it increases over time, and like you don't really see the dip that you see in the total amount of transfers. So that might support FIFA's argument that it's because of less revenues or less sponsorship income, so that there's less money to spend on the transfer market. And a third thing to note is the green line, uh, so which is for uh, domestic transfers. And I'm, I, I included this because um, you see that around 70% of transfers are domestic transfers uh, in all years. It's, it's, uh, like it, it, it follows the total amount of transfers, basically the same trend. And when you look at a lot of the research uh, in the sociology of sports or in the economics of sports, which looks at the transfer market, then they only look at international transfers and also the data that FIFA collects or that UEFA collects is only about international transfers. So what I'm saying is basically you're only looking at 30% of the market and not the entire market. Um, so these domestic transfers are, are yeah, they're a very significant part of the market. And when you step, step back from these figures, um, what it says to me is that given that I have 25,000, 20, 26,000 players in my database, it means that between uh, one in five and one in three players gets a transfer per year. 
Um, so it means that there's like a large part of the market is on the move in a given year, um, which also means, and that's also what you, you, you see in the literature, is that the market is very dynamic, but that also means that the profession of being a football player is actually very precarious. I mean, you could be out of contract, and then you don't have any work anymore. And as it is in the Netherlands, and I think the Netherlands is a very regulated country in this respect, is that when you have a contract and you're running out of your contract, then the team needs to, and contracts are usually up until June or July in a given year, and teams need to let you know before April if, you're going to, if they're going to renew your contract or not, and if you're going to be a free agent. So that might mean that your employer says to you, well, you know, we don't have any money to hire you anymore. So in two months' time, yeah, good luck, bye-bye. And um, uh, yeah, there you are with maybe your family, with your mortgage, and these kind of things. So it's, it's actually what I think and what I would like to stress to you, uh, even though we think of football as glamorous and so, it's actually not so glamorous. And especially when you go to the, to the lower levels, it's, it's, very, it's a very harsh profession, I think. And... Um, Second thing that I would like to talk about are the transfer fees. Um, I have some data on it, and I must say that like, I get a lot of uh, uh, unknown values here. So, uh, I mean, basically w this is based on between 3,000 and 4,000 transfers per year. So, like, you get, I, I don't know how that adds up to, to the total amount, because for a lot of transfers, I just basically don't know that transfer fee. But anyway, with the data that I do have, what I try to do, or what I'm showing here, is box plots of the distribution of transfer fees. Um, and of course, box plots is you have like the interquartile range with the first quarter, the third quarter, and then you have the mean and the median. Is of the, the, the median and the mean are also shown in the box and so. And um, first thing to note is well, these are the boxes. So there's only a line at the start. And what you see, the dots, they're actually uh, the outliers in terms of transfer fees. And it's also not so surprising because well, it starts here with 20 million euros, 40 million, 60 million. 80 million, 100 million euros. So um, what you see is really the outliers of the, of the system. And why I show it like this is because basically what we're focused on, and when we think about the transfer market very often, we're only going to think about transfers which are maybe 15 million euros and up. And when you look at how many transfers in all these years are conducted for that amount of money, it only adds up to 200 transfers. So we're only looking, when we think about the transfer market, we're only looking at the very small part of the market. And even though that small part adds up to a huge total, it's still a very small part of the, of the market. And to give you a, a better overview, that's my last thing. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I, like here's the, 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 the mean transfer fee per year, and for each year it's between 350,000 and 750,000 euros. And if you look at the median, I mean the median is zero. So that means that the large majority of transfers is conducted for no money at all. Um, uh, and even though that is the case, it's still a very big market. I mean, per year, uh, like there's between 1.1 billion and 3 billion euro going on in the, in the transfer market. So it's still a very large market, but the far, far, far majority of, of, of players gets transferred for absolutely nothing. And what it says to me as well is uh, it's a very uh, uh, screwed market in a sense. I mean, you have the haves or the teams which are able to, to spend this large amount of money on transfers and also on the wages of players, and these are the teams which are competing. But there's a very large majority of teams which are not able to, to, to spend this money on, on, on the market, and they're not able to compete anymore. So it's, very, it's a very uneven market in a sense as well. And then um, finally, to come back to Matthew's question, question a little bit as well, is I'd like to look a, a little bit at about the geographical distribution of transfer flows. Um, what, I, what I'm doing here is I'm only looking at the international transfers, so only transfers between countries, um, and then uh, like added up to like how are transfers like going in between continents. So I have all the continents here, like Europe, uh, South America, North America, Africa, Asia, and this is uh, the non-FIFA member, <laughs> and you have it here as well. Um, and basically it's, it's, it's a matrix. So basically what I'm saying here is that from EU countries, 67.8% of total international transfers go to other EU countries, and so forth, and so forth. And then the first column, to come back to Matthew's question, is about, okay, how many, of what percentage of clubs comes from this continent? So I have 84% European clubs, 10% South American clubs, and so forth, and so forth. So um, table is very difficult to read, especially when you are sitting there. Um, so what I do is I highlight a couple of things in the table that I would like to talk about. So first, what I would like to talk about is Europe. Not surprising, given that 84% of the professional teams that I define 
uh, they are found in Europe, so that also means that Europe plays a very dominating role in the market. I mean, what I said, almost 70% of, of transfers internal into Europe, and then you get like the European Latin American connection, which is a further 15% of, of transfers, and basically that's the entire market. Um, and also, when you compare the, the column of Europe with the table of Europe, of the, the row of Europe, so basically the column being, okay, Europe is a buyer, and the, uh, the row being Europe is a seller, then you see that Europe buys from all the other continents, so, uh, except for North America. So for instance, 9% of international transfers goes from uh, Latin America to Europe, and then the, the reverse flow is only 6.4% of the entire transfer market. So you see that Europe is basically buying players from all the other continents. And you also, like you see a similar movement for Africa, you see similar things for Asia and these, and these, these continents. So Europe plays a very dominant role in the market. And then secondly, what I found interesting is, uh, is the role of South America, because um, South America is basically exporting its players to Europe mostly. Um, and you see that South America is also ex exporting more players than they get back from all the other continents. So also to, to North America, which is not so surprising given that North America is getting more money into its leagues. Um, and uh, uh, like there's also a transfer flow between South America and Asia. And given that I'm based in Taiwan, I found that interesting. So what's happening basically is that there are Japanese teams and Korean teams which buy Brazilians directly in, in Brazil. And again, I show this because it's, even though it's a very tiny part of the market, you never hear about it within, uh, like in, in the research on, on, the, on the transfer market in football. And then finally, to turn to Africa, because I was really, I find it really strange that Africa is not so uh, involved in the total transfer market, especially because there are a couple of very high profile African players at European teams and so. And um, uh, there are a couple of reasons for this. Well, first of all, you see that only 1% of the teams comes from, comes from Africa. Um, so that's basically <laughs> nine teams in my database. And um, what this reflects, or what this might reflect, is uh, the low level of institutionalized, uh, in, in, of institutionalism in, on the, on, in African football. So when you look into the literature, then there are a lot of people making the argument that, well, you know, in Africa you have some professional teams, but also a lot of semi-professional teams of amateur teams. And so the league is not really a professional league, but it's somewhere in between and so. so the structures for African football are not so developed. So that means that uh, given my definition, I don't pick up on these transfers. That might be the case. Uh, another thing which might be the case is uh, that a lot of European teams, they're scouting at a very early age in Africa. So what happens is that Euro team, European teams, they set up uh, youth training facilities in Africa, basically with the goal of trying to find the most talented players and getting them to Europe before they're adults. And then what happens, and why I don't see them in my database, is that they're going to make their first movements in professional football in the youth teams of the bigger teams in Europe. And then afterwards, I see them moving from the youth team to the first team of that club. So then I also don't see these, these movements. Um, and a, a third thing, which might be the case, is that uh, African players, they move to Europe without, like they're born in their own countries, but non, for non-football related reasons, they might move to Europe and then they're going to be picked up or they're going to be scouted by uh, the bigger teams within, uh, with or the, 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 the teams within Europe. So I don't see it as an African-Europe movement. Um, and like, for instance, what I've been talking about is a little bit the case with, for instance, uh, uh, DJ Drogba, who started, like he moved to France, I think for non-football related reasons, and then he was scouted by Le Mans, went through the youth education at Lamar and then from Lamar he developed his career further on. So, I mean, it's an African player which makes a really good career in Europe, but I don't see it as an African-Europe transfer. So, um, to conclude about my description of the transfer market, um, first of all, uh, what I said, it's a very highly dynamic market. Uh, there are a lot of player movements in a, in a given year, uh, and that also means that being a football player is actually very, like it could be very hard work, so it's a very precarious profession. Um, then second, what I said is, okay, uh, it's a very large market, there's a lot of money involved, there are a lot of people involved, but when we think about the market and when the market is portrayed in popular media, then we only see the outliers of the market, and we're not basically seeing the, the majority of what happens on the market. And then thirdly, when we think about these uh, geographical flows, 
then we think about, okay, or th then I say, well, basically what happens is that Europe buys from other continents and South America basically sells to other continents. So um, after this short description, to come back to my original question. Um, so what I was talking about in the in my in my more or less theoretical framework is that um, state because of the high uncertainty in the market, status and status difference uh, affects the formation of exchange relations between teams on the market. So like I tried to uh, show that with this line, basically the error being from, okay, we have status and status difference to a formation of exchange relations. And with this kind of question, I would say that uh, what might be an appropriate mo uh, method is to use uh, uh, the stochastic actor-based models for social network dynamics, which you can see in, uh, which you can find in R. Siena, which is basically based on the work of, of Snyder's. And um, what, these, what these methods do is that, first of all, they're going to um, uh, estimate which of how often actors have the opportunity to, cha to change the network, and then like they're going to give each opportunity of each actor an opportunity to change. Uh, so that's basically the stochastic part, like it goes from actor to actor to actor to actor. It's also the actor-based part. I mean, it's about how actors change network. And uh, uh, so the first step is, okay, how often do actors have the chance to change the network? And then the second step, and what I'm most interested in here, is okay, if they have the chance to, to change the network, how are they going to change the network? So are, are they going to build new relations to other teams? Are they going to uh, destroy other relations to, uh, other relations to other teams and so on? So um, basically, I would say that such a model would be appropriate to, 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 to apply to the formation of exchange relations on the market. And uh, what that means is that uh, for my dependent variable, I need to have a network of exchange relations. So what I did is uh, for uh, three periods, uh, I added all the, uh, all, all the transfers taking place between, between teams, and then I decretomized the network. So basically, uh, you get a value of zero between two teams when they don't exchange, and you get the value of one when they have transfers. And I took three periods, and for each period, I added two years together. Because I had, like, if I look at it on a yearly basis, I have a very low jacket coefficient. Um, and uh, so the, the, the three periods that I look at that first are 06, 07, and then the second period is 08, 09, and the third period is, is uh, 10 and 11, 2010 and 2011. Um, and besides dependent variable, I also need independent variables. Um, well first thing that I need is status. And uh, most difficult thing with status is okay, it's a nice concept and so, but how am I going to measure it? Um, and uh, what I decided to do is to, to base my status measurements on the network of transfer fees. I mean, there are transfers taking place between clubs, but there are, like sometimes there's money involved. And what I did is uh, for each year, I standardized all the transfer fees and then I added all the transfer fees between two clubs, I added them together. So then you get a network of transfer fees per year. And because in the literature you see that status is something which is slow moving and these kind of things. So I just decided to add uh, the transfer fee network for three years. So basically what I did, like the three years preceding to the time periods. So from 2003 to 2005 is one status based, uh, a status network. And then from 05 to 07 is an, another status based network. And from the network I used, I, I, I got the, the, the centrality of actors. So basically the more central you are in the network, the higher status you have. And to do that, I used Bonacci centrality, which basically says it's not only about your relations, but it's also about the relations of all your, of, of the people that you're related to, uh, which give you centrality. Oh, and by the way, I use transfer fees um, because uh, when you are a team and all other teams are buying your players for a lot of money, that basically means that they're valuing your players as well. So that probably means that you have a high status in the market, that you're regarded as a quality team. And when you're buying for a lot of money, uh, basically that means that uh, you're one of the big spenders, you're one of the big boys in the network, and you're also, because you can spend money on transfer fees, you probably also spend a lot of money on wages and these kind of things. So basically what, 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 what that signals is that you're one of the most attractive uh, employers in the, in the market as well. So that's why I used uh, uh, transfer fees uh, for, for, for status. Um, sure. Uh, 
Uh, no, it's like I have data on transfer fees for around two, -third of two thirds of the transfers. And uh, like that, so that means that for one third, the transfer fee is unknown. And um, basically what I, when I do this, when I do it like that, I, I basically assume that the unknown value is a value of zero. And uh, well that's, a, that's an assumption. And I think when you look at a lot of the transfers, then it's also uh, warranted. Uh, and you know, probably because it's still a, a large amount of transfers, there are also transfers for which the value is just undisclosed to the public so that we don't know the value. And then like that, that might distort my status, but, uh, the status measurement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My impression is that uh, basically all uh, associations resorting under FIFA all uh, adopted the new regulations. And um, when there are uh, failures, then it very often has to do with the transfer windows. I mean, transfers can take place in two time periods a year, one time between seasons and one time in the middle of a season. And um, these transfer windows, they don't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily the same for each country. So for instance, Russia, which is now a very large buyer on the market, uh, has a transfer window which closes a little bit later than the rest of Europe. So that means that even though the transfer window in Europe closes at the beginning of August, for Russia it closes at the uh, half September, I think. Um, and it also means that some clubs, they get, they get caught up in the differences and so, and when the transfer market is closed then you can't transfer, so then you need to wait for half a year within, with the transfer. So there are these kind of cases. But also, um, with the new transfer regulations, or after the, no, that's not true. Uh, the new transfer regulations, they're brought about by the Bosman case, uh, which was basically a Belgian player and he was out of contract and uh, he wanted to move to a new club, but his old club said, well, you know, that's possible, but then the new club has to pay money. And the new club didn't want to do that. And then Bosman said, basically went to, to the European court and he said, well, that's not really fair. That's not really the way it's, it should be. And, and the old club uh, is depriving me of my right to, uh, to have a profession anywhere within Europe. So he won that case, which basically meant that if you're a European player, an EU player, and you're out of contract, then you can move for free. And then you have a couple of cases which, which follow that up, in which it's a non-EU player who, has, who is in the same situation, and then what, what the European Commission said uh, is that it's basically all the same cases. It's all should be free labor. And because of the power of Europe within football, basically what FIFA did is, okay, then we have to abide by these European Commission rules. Uh, yeah, so I hope I, I, I answered your question. So that you use the regulations as a barrier for flows between countries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I wonder how I could include it in the model, but. Uh, part I but it's what I have a lot of questions for myself about but in what I did here is I modeled the network basically and not model network, network itself and not network and behavior. Yeah. Um any other questions?
I don't, um, uh, I don't. I don't see the compensations. Uh, you're right that in the regulations, there's like you pay a, tr uh, a transfer fee, and then you have to have a certain amount of money which goes to the clubs which educated the player. Basically, um, I don't see them uh, in my data. They're, they're, they're not there, um, so I can't really talk about it. What it does mean is that uh, clubs from major countries they go onto the labour market in other countries at a very early age. So basically from the age of 16 players, they move to, and for Ireland that's the case, there's, there's also some work about, from Irish uh, work, uh, researchers on this topic about, okay, how is that affecting the flow of players from Ireland to the UK? And it's also basically the same what I said about Africa, is that African players that come to Europe at an age uh, in which I don't see them in my data, basically. Uh, so uh, yeah, it, it does affect it. And on the other hand, what FIFA did in its regulations and that trying to uh, they are trying to act on it is uh, um, that players can only move for football reasons when they're uh, at least 16 so that means that you, you can't really uh, get a very very a young a player at a very young age and get him to move to uh, to, to to another country uh, although there are also ways around it but it's also an interesting interesting suggestion um, so to get back to how I measured it, uh, I just talked about how I measured status. And then, uh, of course, I also talked about status difference. So what I did then is basically I said, well, that's the absolute difference in status of teams. And uh, to get the, uh, the, 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 the U-shaped relation, I also included the squared status difference, which like from this measurement is very easy to calculate further. Um, and then I also have a couple of control variables. Um, first of all, when you look at a lot of the literature on how networks are formed and so, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's previous ties which really ac explain uh, a, a, a present network. So what I did is I included the, uh, the number of transfers between teams in the three years preceding to an observation period. And also, like other people would say, well, it's all about indirect relations because indirect relations give you information about that other, uh, that other uh, team as well. And also, probably when you're related to, uh, indirectly related, you're, you're in some sense, you have a similar set of of norms or so which, which govern your behavior so that also it's also more likely to, to create relations between teams. So I also included uh, like uh, co uh, uh, coefficients for uh, transitivity and then finally uh, I also included a dummy for when teams come from the same country because uh, you're basically working in the same institutional environment and there's much more information I assume uh, available about players and teams in your own country than players and teams from other countries. So that means that it's easier to have to, to have transfer relations between uh, between uh, teams from the same country. Because I understand it's it's a little bit uh, uh, it's a little bit complicated because like it, it's a model which uh, models the formation of transfer of relations in the network over time. So basically, what I did is I have the transfers which took place in the years 2006 and two 2007. I added them together. So what happens when two teams they uh, they exchange a player in 06 and they don't do it in 07, then they still get a value of one. And then when I looked at the transfers in previous years. I took the three years preceding to this network. So then the three years of transfers between 2003 and two 2005, and I also added these three years together. So, yeah, then it gets a value of two. Yeah, and yeah, it's just a sum time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, what I just said about the, 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 the transfer network for O3 and uh, from O3 to O5, I also took the status measurements for that and the transitivity effect and the country dummy. And what the model then does basically is it takes this network and these uh, independent variables and it uh, calculates or it models how this network changes into that network at time two. And then for time two, I had the same logic for including at that time the independent variables and then 
it gets to, uh, or it, it uh, calculates how the network changes until of, of, uh, to the network that I saw at observation time three. So it's a little bit more of a schematic outline of, of the model that, uh, that I have. Um, uh, any questions about it? Uh, I would say it's more institutional proximity. Uh, no, no, uh, yeah. I, I, when I think about it, I don't think about it as homophily, that being, okay, you're from the same country, so you're the same, so you have more relations together. It's, uh, it's a dummy variable which has a value of one if two teams come from the same country. So basically if you have two German teams, then they have a value of one. And what it represents for me is that, uh, it, uh, like kind of institutional proximity. You're operating in, in the same market, you're operating under the same regulations of the same association, so probably it's easier to, to, to form transfers between you. And the links are, uh, yeah, you have, you, have, you have a similar understanding of how you should conduct a transfer. So that helps to, uh, to, 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 to spawn a, a transfer net of a, a, the, the transfer relations between teams. Um, so first, to talk a little bit about what the network looks like. Um, uh, what I see over these three years is that they're very stable, like overall macro network properties. I mean, you see a density of uh, 0 0.0105, uh, no, 0.015, which basically means that of all possible uh, relations, uh, only one and a half percent of these relations are present. So it's a very sparse network and it translates into teams having uh, an average degree of around 13. So they're transferring, pla transferring players with 13 other teams, uh, more or less. And for the three time periods, it's, it's very st these characteristics are very stable. Um, what that doesn't mean is that on the diet level, the network is very stable. Uh, what you see here is that the, the, the relations which changed or stays the same over time, so what you have here is from time period one until two time period two, and here from time period two to time period three. And you see that the most, like the far, far majority of ties is basically, like uh, it, it stays, stays the same. It stays uh, that, that teams don't have a tie, which also translates to uh, no density in the network. And then here you have the ties which change from not having a tie to having a tie, here from having a tie to not having a tie. So these are the changing diets. And these are the diets which had a tie in time period, in the first time period, and then in the second time period, they also had a tie. And what you see is that basically changes are much bigger than stability, which also uh, leads to a relatively low jacket coefficient, which, uh, like what, what I read in the literature, is that it's recommended to be between 0.2 and 0.8. And if not, then the, the, there might be problems with the, with the modeling of the network. Not more than 0.3. Not more than 0.3. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you think it's fine? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then to talk about the, the, the results of the model, uh, which I'd like to discuss in four bits, and I put the bits that I want to discuss together, I put them in the same color. Um, so first, to look at... Uh, uh, the status variables, so what kind of, uh, the, 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 the status of the sending organization, and the status of the receiving organization, and how that relates, or how that affects the formation of transfer relations between them. So what you see here is basically there's a positive effect uh, between uh, sender status and receiver status and the formation of exchange relations between them. And by the way, in this table, like the, the main number is the, the, the coefficient and the number within bracket is the, the standard error. Uh, so you can also kind of have an idea about how good the estimation is and so. So uh, basically for sender status and receiver status is very much in line with what, what, uh, what I expected. But then when you look at status difference, <laughs> it's not in line with what I expected. Uh, I mean, these are the, the, the red values. And uh, what you see with the status difference variable, it has uh, a negative sign, why I expected the positive sign. And it's not uh, statistically significant. And moreover, uh, like the uh, coefficient is relatively uh, small compared to the standard error. And when you look at the squared status difference, is, uh, well, you see that the, the it's also a negative effect and it's a statistically significant effect, which basically says to me, it's okay, well, it's not about, it's not this inverted U shape, but it's basically a negative relation between status difference and forming transfer relations, which would mean, like, 
because it's I'm still working on it. But probably what I would like to uh, how I would like to continue it is like just drop this status different the, the squared status difference variable and only include the status difference variable. And then I hope that like th this gets a, a, a better estimation. And substantively, what it means is that uh, the bigger the status difference between teams, uh, the less likely they are to, to to transfer players between each other. So basically, what happens is that if teams uh, they're relatively close in the stage ranking, then they're more likely to, to exchange players. Um, and then on the other side of the slide is the, the, the control variables. Uh, first the orange-brownish uh, ones. Uh, well, that's basically the country dummy and the, 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 uh, co the coefficient for previous transfers have for the transitivity uh, component. And we all see that these three contribute to the formation of exchange relations to, uh, between teams. So if you're from the same country, you're mo more likely to exchange players. If you exchange players in previous periods, then you're also more likely to exchange players. And when you're indirectly related in player transfers, then you're also more likely to exchange players. And then finally, in black, uh, what I understand from the literature is that it's recommended to include the out degree and the reciprocity component in, in, uh, in these kind of models. And basically what the negative value for the out degree means is that uh, there's a limit on the amount of ties that actors can have within the network. And it reflects also reflects the low density within the network. And the reciprocity component, uh, as far as I understand it, is that it's like well, if you have a transfer going from team one to team two, then there's also, it's the, the tie is also reciprocated. But because like it's recommended to include them in, an, in the model, but they're not really, um, uh, like they're not really contributing to my substantive results. Uh, and then discuss them theoretically, so I'd like to leave them at that. Um, so basically what I, what I take from this is, okay, uh, sender status, receiver status all have a positive effect on tie formation, and when we look at status difference, then there's a negative effect, uh, basically saying that only teams which are relatively, relatively close in the status ranking, they're uh, exchanging players with each other. So um, to uh, give a short conclusion, um, what I did is uh, I talked about the labor market in professional football and uh, how I would characterize this labor market is it's a highly dynamic labor market uh, which teams of players changing teams very very often um, and the labor market is very uh, is very uneven distribution of rewards um, so basically that was the transfer fee bit that I talked about um, what I was most interested in is uh, how uncertainty uh, is present on the labor market and how, because of that uncertainty, status affects the formation of exchange relations on that labor market. Um, and then what I, what, I, what I try to show is that uh, I think that there's a positive effect of the status of the sender and the receiver on the formation of exchange relations. And there's a negative effect uh, of uh, the difference between sender and receiver on the formation of exchange relations. And what, that's basically what I wanted to talk to you about.